Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 10th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that brings you magic-related financial information without ever actually being that fast. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Looking forward to our podcast this week and everything we have to talk about. Uh, the show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, break it down for us. What are we doing today? James, this week we have uh, four segments. Our first segment is the Top Movers, where, we'll, where we will look at the cards that have seen the largest changes in price in the last week. Section two is our Cards to Watch, where James and I will point out the cards that we've got our eyes on as uh, potential money makers. Segment three is where we will look at the metagame we can review. This week we have the Modern Mox from uh, last weekend. And finally, segment four is our topic of the week. This week, we're going to continue to discuss the Shadows over Innistrad spoilers that uh, have been coming out and, and what those hold for us financially. Um, so let's start off. Segment one, top movers. Uh, James, why don't you go ahead and jump right in at the bottom? Well, our first big mover of the week is Triskaelion, uh, Legends Rare uh, edition specifically, moving, continuing its move up as a reserved list uh, spike uh, moving from $45 to $70 for a $25 change, uh, almost a 55% increase. And again, this is just the you know the continued attrition that's going on with the reserve list cards as people realize that there are fewer and fewer of them around and uh, more and more speculative hoarding takes place. Yeah, so Legends cards up, no news here, uh, but they take a little while to sell after these spikes, so don't expect uh, a rapid return in profit if you did manage to uh, pick any of these up before the spike. Um, next up is Birds of Paradise, specifically the foil copies from Ravnica. We've seen these go from 12 to 20 this week for about a 66% gain. I think foil Birds of Paradise across the board have been creeping up. They've sort of always been creeping up. Uh, I'm guessing the Ravnica ones got down to their last handful of copies and somebody finished it off. Um, you know, it's funny because just a few days ago, I had somebody message me and ask about the seventh edition foil ones because those were getting very low stock as well. So uh, if you haven't finished off your foil birds yet, now is probably the time to do it. Just pick any of them that look decent to you and go with it, um, because I would not be surprised to see the other printings of this fall into line shortly. Yeah, I mean, both Malira and Cord-based decks and modern uh, run birds, birds is a pot is one of the best mana creatures of all time. So it's popular in casual circles. Uh, the foils are probably in demand in EDH. And it actually hasn't been printed in a while. It's been, uh, you know, four or five years since we see, saw, saw birds foils in Magic 2012. And it's one of those cards that despite being reprinted, you know, multiple, multiple times, um, you know, give it a, enough time in the marketplace and and uh, the, the price will rise on both regular and foil editions. All right, so our next card this week is Cryptic Gateway Foils, an onslaught uh, rare that is uh, in low supply and occasionally played in, in EDH decks, moving from $5 to $11 for a 120% increase. Definitely a, a, a sweet spot to get out if you've got the opportunity. 
you have Cryptic Gateway, just another one of those Commander EDH cards where you know you see that supply losing liquid copies to attrition. So you know, we have one of these pop up every week or so. No big surprise here. Uh, following Cryptic Gateway is Seachrome Coast from Scars of Mirrodin. Uh, oh, this is the foil copy again. Uh, has jumped from 10 to 26 this week for a little, about a little over 150% gain. Uh, Seachrome Coast shows up in the Ad Nauseam builds that we've seen uh, hanging around the fringes of Modern for a little while now. I think they saw a bump in popularity after the Eldrazi uh, got big because it's a reasonable foil to that strategy. In addition to that, blue-white has historically been a very powerful combination of cards, or a combination of colors, and I think that players who are looking to uh, play that color strategy in modern have been picking these off one at a time. Uh, and again, we finally saw the last few copies slip away. I don't, I'm not pegging really any other decks other than Ad Nauseam as being the catalyst for this, which is why it's it's not a really tremendously large spike it's more just the the liquid last liquid copies are finally disappearing yeah and i mean this is a set that uh that came out in 2010 so scars mirrored and lands um not a surprise to seeing them start to gain some momentum mm-hmm. all right so next on the list we have uh, another reserve list card hall of gemstone out of mirage and um, moving from five dollars to twelve dollars for 140 percent gain uh another card that's you know slowly steadily going to um, you know, eke its way up, but given this spike, if you've got copies around, feel free to trade them out. Yeah, yeah. Again, I I'll be impressed if you guys can get that much more. I mean, if you bought in pre-spike, you made money, but uh, you may find these are difficult to move. So when you hear us week after week list off these legends and mirage and Arabian Nights cards that have seen pretty large jumps in value, just realize that it takes some time to get out of them and actually realize your profits. The following Hall of Gemstone is the Foil Time Sea. We got a lot of foils this week. Uh, from Alara Reborn, we've seen this go from 6 to 28 uh, for over 350%. Uh, Alara Reborn is 7 years old now. Time Sieve is a combo piece that allows you to make infinite turns. The foils are going to be popular with modern brewers, again, with commander players who are jerks. Um, again, just copy keeps getting plicked away and plicked away and then suddenly you have a huge spike because the last one goes and somebody relists at a ridiculous price uh i see no proof that time Sieve is making any sort of real run at modern right now but uh there you have it yeah i mean in these kind of cases folks keep an eye on um closed auctions and bins on ebay for the couple of weeks after the spike to try to te- you know gauge whether the new price is going to hold um, before you decide whether to get in and or, or out, you know, regardless of what move you're making, you want to make sure that the price is real. If it's not, then it'll eventually settle back down as as copies are acquired from buy lists and through collection purchases, and they pop back up on TCG Player and drive back down to the median. Yep. So last on our list this week, our biggest mover was Elvish Arch Druid foils. Um, uh, specifically, we're talking about the M10 editions, moving from three dollars to fifteen. Um, that's a 400% gain, likely on a combination of both low supply and elves uh, becoming an increasingly viable uh, tier 1.5 modern deck um, that's likely to have legs after the Eldrazi leave the system. Um, there are several versions of these foils that have not moved as much, so you might want to take a look at those um, uh, in, the, in the case where they may dry up as well. Yeah, if there are any, co- the few copies that are left out there under 
five or six bucks are probably not going to be there an hour after this podcast goes live, but foresight, hindsight, whatever. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> segment two is cards to watch. This is where James and I are going to talk about some of the cards that we've got our eyes on this week. Um, James, your name is first on the list, so I will let you lead. Sure. So again, I, I'm typically trying to look at, you know, preparing for my digging for dollars series on MTG price coming up where I try to find cards that might have uh, financial gains that are so far under the radar. Um, so I've been looking at some, you know, uh, potential bulk rares and mythics and trying to figure out what may have a future once the uh, unforeseen synergies reveal themselves. Um, one of the cards that's on my radar for sure is Thalia's Lieutenant, uh, the foils in particular, um, targeting them for modern play with the backup plan being slow growth for casual and ADH. Um, I noticed that in modern, you can now put together a hardened scales deck that starts with four servant of the scale, four uh, uh, experiment one, and uh, four of the, the white creature that gains a plus one, plus one counter every time uh, another human comes into play. You can follow it up with Alia's Lieutenant, put uh, a plus one, plus counter on all your guys. If you have a hardened scales in play, they all get plus two, plus two. Um, it's kind of a janky tier 2.5, tier three kind of deck. But as additional synergies uh, unfold over time, it may become a more and more viable aggro strategy. And given that plus one plus one counters is uh, kind of an evergreen effect that we ha have been seeing show up in set after set lately, I find it hard to believe that down the road there won't be enough demand for these foils to take them from what I, I, I suspect will be the five to six dollar range um, or even lower for the foils, uh, given the demand for other cards and shadows over Innistrad. Um, and my target, again, would be somewhere over $10 down the road. You know, Modern has been wanting for a human stack for some time now. I recall Sam Black brewing some modern lists, uh, modern human lists years ago now at this point, because uh, I think it was Mana Confluence finally put 25 color lands in the format for tribal strategies with things like uh, City of Brass and Cavern of Souls, Ancient Ziggurat. So Dahlia's Lieutenant certainly adds fuel to that fire, and it's only gotten better in the last few years. So it'll be curious to see if we eventually see something come out of that. You know, these synergies, tribal synergies, just keep getting pushed and pushed. And uh, one of these days we might end up with one. Well, we did end up with one that was good enough for modern. It was called Eldrazi, but maybe we'll get <laughs> one that plays a little differently. It's interesting because that deck can also run things like Anafenza, Kintry Spirit. You can put uh, her infinite combo into the deck if you want to, uh, since you're running green-white anyway. Um, yeah. You can you can also fool around with Nisa on three, putting counters on everything to follow up on the Lieutenant, putting er counters on everything on two. So yeah, maybe there's something there. It's certainly worth testing. Well, I'm a big fan of any deck with hardened scales because I bought a bunch, so go hardened scales. <laughs> My first pick this week is the Chain Veil, the artifact from M15. It's a long-term spec. I've got this as a six on the confidence level. Uh, right now, it's a dollar fifty. I could see this making it to five or six dollars, which is sort of that you know five to ten is kind of that sweet spot for EDH commander cards. There's a lot of stuff in that ballpark. I don't even remember how I came to remember that the Chain Veil exists. Uh, I just kind of I don't know what it was that triggered me but I looked it up and saw the buy list has been creeping up that's uh, it's increased uh, a good percentage the last uh, few months 
with the retail price just starting to budge. So I think we're finally starting to see the needle move on this card. It's extremely unique, uh, very useful, can do a lot of things for you in commander games and casual games. And with the Oath cycle, there's now a lot of auxiliary payoffs playing a lot of Planeswalkers. Um, so before, you know, back when Planeswalkers came out, you cast a Planeswalker, it did what it did, and there wasn't a lot else going on. Now you have all these Oath cards, you have Doubling Season, which makes them pretty wild. You've got the Chain Veil, uh, other cards interact with Planeswalkers. So I, I think we're going to see that uh, gameplay strategy become more and more popular over time, and the Chain Veil just gives you uh, a lot more utility, uh, a lot of value out of pursuing that strategy. Yeah, fair enough. And it's also interesting that on TCG um, and eBay across both of those platforms, there's something in the neighborhood of 25 to 30 foils available for under $10. Um, and you got to assume that a lot of this demand for this card is going to come from Commander and EDH players who like to pimp out their decks. And if you're the kind of EDH player that's building a Super Friends type strategy, um, the Chain Veil is kind of a must-have accessory. Um, and as such, I would I would keep an eye on these foils as they start to get dwindled down to, say, 10 or 15 copies. It might be time to make a move. Mm-hmm. All right. So my next pick is uh, another mid to long term hold, um, another foil rare from Shadows over Innistrad. My confidence level on this card is a six. Um, I've got my eye on Fevered Visions, um, one in a long line of uh, blue uh, rare enchantments that grant both players extra cards. Um, Fevered Visions reads one blue red. At the beginning of each player's end step, that player draws a card. If the player is your opponent and has four or more cards in hand, Fevered Visions deals two damage to him or her. So there's a couple of interesting things here. First of all, it's uh, that magic three casting costs or less that means it could potentially show up in some uh, low tier deck in modern um, alongside something like Sphere of Influence or... Um, dictative crucifix or uh, other howling mine effects this is better than most howling mine effects because you you draw a card before your opponent does which has always been the issue with those cards and it has additional upside if they're holding a lot of cards or you can you know lock them out with things like uh, thalia or meddling mage or eidoline of rhetoric if you can get them stuck with a bunch of cards in hand then this thing becomes a black vice and starts to really shut them down <laughs> Just to finish up, I can I can see the foils going from what I assume will be two or three dollars to start with, potentially even getting lower as uh, demand is focused on other cards in the set. Um, and I would easily see these card these foils going over six dollars, say two to three years down the road. I find this card very amusing from a prison style strategy that just uh, attempts to strand cards in your hand and uses this to chip away at you. Uh, <laughs> I like that; it's amusing. Um, my second pick for this week is Life from the Loam. Uh, I'm looking at this as a mid to long type card. I've got this as a seven right now on the confidence level. Uh, Modern Masters copies, but really either any of them work. They're hanging around $10 or so right now. I like this up to about 15 I think is uh, is pretty reasonable. Um, it's not really a price. In, you know, It's a $5 price increase. I'm not wild about buying these at 10 bucks, but I would definitely be trading for Life from the Loams. Right now, if I could find them, uh, what triggered this most recently is the printing of uh, oh god, was it Get Rog of the Death Pad? I don't know that big get, the Get Rog the, monster, the Get Rog monster, yeah, yeah, Frog Horror, um, which does a lot of different words. Uh, all of them make Life from the Loam sound pretty good. 
the current build that or the current idea that I'm tickled by is Gorio's Vengeancing, the Get Rog monster back into play. And then you can basically go infinite with Seismic Assault and Dakmore Salvage. Uh, all cards you will probably have to look up. <laughs> uh, but it's a cool little, it's a cool concept. I'm not saying it's going to be good or anything, but um, I think that Gitrog is going to push people into Loam strategies again. Loam has already been increasing for quite some time, and this is just more fuel for the fire. So uh, not a card I'd be buying into right now, but I would be trading for any copies I could find at FNM. Yeah, I mean, Life in the Loom is one of these uh, cheap casting costs, powerful, unique effects um, that that really turns on a bunch of different graveyard strategies and dredge strategies. And if it hadn't been reprinted in Modern Masters and showed up in a, in the Is It versus Golgari dual deck uh, several years back, um, you know, it would probably be a twenty or thirty dollar card still. The um, you know, currently there's something like maybe 200 copies floating around online. So um, not a card that's likely to see a huge spike in the near future, but it would really only take the appearance of a, a sexy new deck in, in modern um, or an appearance on, on uh, you know, somebody's uh, video deck building brew stream or something for the, for the card to see some serious traction. Yeah, here's what would happen. Let's assume for a second that the Gitrog, Gorio's Vengeance, whatever deck does well. It shows up someplace, it gets popular. Life in the Loam is not the card that spikes. Life in the Loam is a card that if you already owned the, a playset of the card that spiked and decided that it was worth finishing the deck so that you could play it, you go to pick up and realize it's quietly increased several dollars, but nobody noticed because they were looking at the other card that spiked hard, which sure. I guess in that case might be Seismic Assault. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look. So my so my last pick of the week is a Magic Online pick, um, where I'm I'm oh. seeing into the seeing into the future here. Um, there's a, a bulk mythic um, that you know may show up on my to do list um, if it gets low enough towards the summer lulls. Um, that was just revealed uh, yesterday. Seasons past four and two green. It's a sorcery. Return any number of cards with different converted mana costs from your graveyard to your hand. Put Seasons Pass on the bottom of its owner's library. So I've got to assume that foils of this card will be in some demand in EDH because it's just such a big, silly thing to do, getting back, you know, five, six, seven, eight cards um, in the mid to late game. And it's not going to have any kind of a home in standard, I wouldn't think. Uh, unlikely to to break out in modern anytime soon, especially since we're kind of past the, the critical brewing stages for modern this year. Um, at least until the Eldrazi leave, at which point maybe all bets are off. Um, but this is the kind of card that someone like Saffron Olive, who run MTG Goldfish, is absolutely going to brew up um, several months down the road. So on Magic Online, when this thing bottoms out, why don't you go ahead and pick up 100 copies at like $2 or whatever and wait for them to spike to 4 or 5 inevitably when somebody posts some kind of silly deck that actually manages to win something? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting card, and theoretically, it allows you to go infinite if you somehow can generate a ton of mana, so, or, well, infinite mana, so, it's a curious card. I like the moto idea, moto angle. All right. Um, yeah, okay, so let's hit, uh, let's hit segment three, our week in review. This week, we're looking at last weekend's Modern Mox, which was tainted by Mir Superion, which was temporarily castable with basic lands. Although Wizards asked everybody <laughs> nicely not to. Uh, so aside from that uh, particular aspect of this event, uh, we saw a, a pretty heavy appearance of uh, Aldrazi Aggro again. 
uh, which is flanked by several counter picks. So we have some hate bears, some lantern, um, a collected company deck with the, the main deck phantasmal images. So pretty skewed metagame at this point. Uh, what jumped out at me was the uh, the Abzan list in 5th to 8th place that had three main deck Siege Rhinos, uh, which is a card that we know, obviously we all know it's very good and it's seen playing modern, but we kind of wonder how sustainable it is. You know, is it just going to kind of like, oh, wow, this card's really good in modern and then I'm going to play four and then I'm going to play three and then it shows up as a one of. Well, sure. no, here it showed up as a three of. Um, you know, so it's 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 hanging in there. So we may be seeing the beginning of Siege Rhino becoming a staple in modern. Um, and the other card that was in that deck that, that jumped out at me was four Oath of Nyssa. Somebody was jamming that card is basically the green ponder. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that card hangs around in these strategies. I, I do think that card is very powerful. Um, it's dropped significantly from its pre-order prices. So we could see an upswing on that in the semi-near future if that card gains traction. Yeah, I like keeping an eye on Foil Oath of Nyssa and Oath of Nyssa because there, there's going to be a deck down the road that for some reason isn't playing green but wants that kind of card selection effect. And this is going to do the job. Um, Siege Rhino Foils I've been sitting on for a while and I actually missed an opportunity to get out at a, at a key peak um, because I've always assumed that this was going to be a modern card. Um, you know, it's a dirtily forecasting cost creature that doesn't immediately win the game, but it does create a six point life swing and could potentially be the, the bolt uh, that puts the final nail in your opponent's coffin. Um, if you've been running some kind of aggro strategy or or mid range, so well, let's see if it, it continues to show up in Abzan builds um, moving forward past the the age of Eldrazi. Um, uh, you know, it's still got to earn its stripes in in modern later this year. But uh, I also like the the Bant Coco deck. That's a deck I've actually been running um, at F and M lately uh, to try to combat the Eldrazi menace and. Uh, Curiously enough, the last time I went three and one with it, I didn't play a single Eldrazi deck because pretty much our entire local metagame has switched over to anti-Eldrazi hate decks. So it's just a weird meta where everybody's playing random hate against each other that doesn't shouldn't even exist. Um, but that deck seems pretty strong. I think the decks that I've got my eyes on really for when the Eldrazi leave, though, are the the various forms of Collective Company, uh, Malira you know, Kitchen Finks, Anafenza type combo stuff with Corda Calling and and company. Um, looks like it has no reason to not be one of the top three decks, um, a lot probably alongside Affinity um, and, you know, whatever fills the gap for Eldrazi. I completely agree. Collective Company is going to be a tier one staple of modern after Eldrazi get banned, at least at the start. All right, so uh, in our fourth segment uh, this week, we're still just taking a look at some you know random thoughts we have about cards we've seen revealed for Shadows over Innistrad. We get the full spoiler tomorrow, so you'll probably have already seen it by the time you, you hear this, but we're looking at the uh, Thursday evening spoiler releases here. So uh, anything that caught your eye lately there, Travis? Uh, well, you know, it caught both of our eyes, uh, so I, I give you credit for this, but when... Uh, wait, let me find the name. Of, oh, uh, From Under the Floorboards was first spoiled. I kind of glanced at it, didn't really think much about it. Yeah, some zombies, whatever. And then I saw you comment about it. That This is five mana for six power, but it's six power across three bodies, which is usually a little more expensive than just uh, a six, six. It makes you gain life. You gain three life when you cast it. Um, and you have a madness outlet on it too, which lets the card scale really well. So we have 
a five mana card that makes six power and gains you three life, and it will scale on top of that. Uh, and, and you made the comment that this is a green card, not a black card, and you're right. Like You can totally see this with wolves, you know, like, call, yeah. like wolves from the forest, I don't know, whatever. So um, this is a very interesting card. Uh, I think it could very well see playing standard. Any card that allows you to further your board position and pad your life total and, uh, on some of the more expensive spells is is very useful. And being able to keep this going with like jacing it at the end of their turn and and slamming an army into play is pretty awesome. Um, and this is especially amusing with Liliana of the Veil in Modern, although I'm not going to sit here and advocate for five mana sorceries in Modern. So uh, I, I think the card is interesting. I think it's going to be really easy to sleep on this one, and we may see it end up being a lot more relevant than people initially imagined. Yeah, it's important for everybody to remember that rare. this is, this is a rare, and rares in big sets um, have trouble... Uh, peaking over you know four or five dollars unless they are extremely brought, widely played the mana bases are getting worse so it's going to be hard for decks to run even the best of cards cards like jace are probably going to see reduced play in the overall meta just because not everybody can afford the blue um but this card is even on star city games which is you know not the cheapest price in the market um this card is still at two dollars so if you're interested in a play set of these i would pick it up right away because i could easily see it hitting 399 um, by the time enough people get around to how fun this card could potentially be in standard in casual and edh um i mean the zombie deck looks like a real thing with undead executioner on the table this card doesn't make six power and toughness it makes nine power and toughness um potentially more if you're using the madness outlet later in the game. Um, and it's got a lot of interesting interactions with some of the other zombies. So uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, how about you? What, what jumped out at you? Mm, I mean, I like altered ego. This is the uh, clone uh, uh, creature for X two green blue. Altered Ego can't be countered. You may have Altered Ego enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it enters with X additional plus one plus one counters on it. So worst case scenario for two green blue, you're getting a copy of somebody else's creature that can't be countered. Um, I can see if those foils get low enough, there might be some long-term hold potential for EDH. Um, it could see some play in standard, although I don't know what the green blue deck looks like at this point. Um, you know, that's always the issue with these green blue cards is that if they don't support that color combination enough, and they rarely do outside of Ravnica block decks, um, you know, these cards tend to just go straight to bulk. Um, so, you know, this is a bulk foil probably to keep your eye on in the summer. It might be interesting. I agree with all that. And the, the bulk foils is probably a good angle on these because it's going to be pretty solid in a commander format where green blue is far and away the best color combination clones are above uh, above their rate in that format and uh, not being able to be countered is pretty handy. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping nobody figures out the Gitrog monster right away because it's currently sitting at, you know, something like nine or ten dollars a copy. Um, I'd like to see that fall down under five and then I'd definitely be I'll, I'll load up a little maybe five or six play sets for the long haul on the assumption that in EDH it's going to for sure slotted to a couple of different decks um and maybe somebody figures it out for modern and makes it a real thing well i really i really like get rog this card is, is just cool and everyone in my facebook chat thought it was really cool and was interested and started talking about lists which to me says that there's there's a lot of appeal there you know not not every card that shows up is for all of us but this one got us all talking so this is really cool there's a lot of cool things and even if it's not there today 
uh, we could definitely see it show up in various places in various ways down the road. This is the card. It's three green black. Death touch 6-6. Six, six. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice the Gitrog monster unless you sacrifice a land. But you may play an additional land on each of your turns, and whenever one or more lands are put into your graveyard from anywhere, draw a card. So clearly that plays pretty nicely with fetch lands. It plays pretty nicely with life in the loam, like you said. And there's going to be a whole bunch of two and three card combos that can be built around it for EDH. Mm-hmm. Speaking of lands, James, uh, what's your take on this rare cycle, the land rare land cycle, the, the hand lands, perhaps? Well, LSV said... Somebody asked him in his chat on stream last night, is, the, are the, is this cycle playable and modern? And he said flat out no. But I need to test it to be convinced because the, the thing about these is if, if you are just playing two colors in modern, you could just run a whole bunch of basics, um, the appropriate fetch land, and you know four prairie, say it's blue-white, four prairie stream and four of this, and I fail to see how your mana is not going to be pretty much perfect every game. I guess my only thought about that is if you're running a two-color deck in modern, was your mana in danger of not being excellent anyways? Well, I mean, I, I think there are many ways to build an excellent two-color mana base in modern. But my, my point is that you could, if that tested out the way I just said it, it might, um, then maybe you don't need Hallowed Fountains. Maybe you don't need to be bringing in... Uh, uh, you know, a dual land that costs you two life, which ends up being a relevant amount of life when you do it once or twice every game, especially against the aggro decks like Zoo and Burn, um, where you really, really end up wanting that four life. So, you know, I'd, I'm, I'm not high on these cards. Uh, I think they're going to uh, sit in and around four to six dollars for at least uh, the first few months after they're released because they're going to be necessary evils in standard at least. Um, and down the road, towards the end of their productive life cycle and standard, maybe they get down to, you know, scry land type pricing, you know, a dollar, a dollar fifty, at which point, you know, maybe there'll be some reason to move in on them. Well, you know, what I find inter- what I like about them is, first of all, they've already started the push on the battle for Zendikar, the battle lands that because those are typed. So these obviously work very well with typed lands. So uh, if you haven't already gotten your BFZ lands, do not waste any time because any of those could increase dramatically very quickly. But what's, what I find curious about these is that they're very unexciting, right? Nobody, nobody's really excited about playing these cards. They just, they're not cool. But what that means is that it may be very easy for these to fly under the radar. And then when we lose... Um, I guess probably not dragons, but when battle uh, when battle for Zendikar and Oath of the Gatewatch rotate, these lands may become much more relevant than they were before that. And if they were really cheap because nobody cared, but now you have to play them, we might see pretty large price spikes on these. So you know, if we see any five of these get down below a dollar, you know, in the fifty to eighty cent range, I'd be very interested in them just because uh, nobody's going to care, nobody's going to look at them. Uh, right up until they have to, and then you might see a jump. Sure, yeah, it, that all makes perfect sense. I mean, the Battle of Zendikar lands, most of them still have, you know, five or 600 copies online, but we'll see what happens when people start realizing what decks are going to have a place in Standard and what those mana bases look like. If, you know, there's... What you're looking for to figure out which BFZ land you want to be on is the land that is going to get played by two or three of the key decks. Um, where there's color overlap. So, 
you know, is there a black red uh, vampires list and a black red zombies list and they're both good and they're both going to get played, then you probably need the black red land. Um, but if there's only one deck that needs land, um, I think that the inventory, current inventory may be able to stomach the demand. That's possible. So we were we were fooling around talking about how Jason Raveler of Secrets uh, plus doubling season uh, is practically an instant win. Given mm-hmm. that it locks your opponent out from casting a spell every turn. That's an interesting one. Um, certainly something that could make Jason Reveler of Secrets uh, a target if it gets low enough and nobody else is playing it. Um, anything else that you noticed from the spoilers this week? Um, no, that was about it. I mean, the the Gitrog was probably the coolest card for me. Other than that, I saw a lot of rares that I wasn't that interested in. In general, I find that when Oath of the Gatewatch was being spoiled, I did not find the flavor particularly compelling. But I did think a lot of the cards were very interesting from a gameplay perspective. There's a lot of cards there I wanted to cast. And over the last several weeks, I've continued to talk about Oath of the Gatewatch cards in my picks of the week because I think that that is a very deep set on playables. With Shadows over Innistrad, what I'm finding is that these cards are very interesting from a flavor and story perspective. Um, Wizards did a, a knocked it out of the park again with the character of the set. But at the same time, there's not a lot of cards here I actually want cast i just it doesn't do a lot for me so we may find that this set is actually rather shallow on playables uh so i'm going to be keeping an eye on that as we go forward but we all may be sort of it might this set might actually be bad but nobody has really noticed it because the cards the story and the art is cool oh i know one that's on my radar here's my last one for the week so asylum visitor one in a black for a 3-1. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, mm. if that player has no cards in hand, you draw a card and you lose one life. You can also madness it into play for one and a black. So a lot of people look at this card and they think, oh, it's just another kind of bad dark confidant like Pain Seer that never paid off in Theros. But there's a couple of things that are interesting about this. First of all, assumably if you're playing it in a deck that wants to be... Uh, uh, discarding cards and turning on madness effects, then you're basically getting this into into play almost for free. Because if you, say, activate Jace, um, discard this into play, and draw a card, then you're up a card. If you're playing it in a deck that, say, has Avaricious Dragon and is emptying your hand every turn, keep in mind that at the beginning of each player's upkeep, if that player has no cards in hand, you draw a card and you lose one life. So... As you flip the switch to your opponent, if they've got cards, fine, you don't get any benefit. But if they happen to be tapped out in the mid to late game, you get you could potentially get a bonus card and a life there. And then come over to your turn, you've got no cards in hand, you draw a card and lose a life. Being able to get two cards in between your turn and your next turn is a fairly unique effect. The fact that you can madness it into play is also fairly unique. And this card can still beat down. It's a it's got three three power. So if you're playing a really attrition-y match and this thing has somehow survived, um, it could potentially close out a game by itself. All of those lead me to believe that this might find a home somewhere down the road. Uh, In standard, certainly there's a possibility because there's going to be a lot of madness action. Um, I think Avaricious Dragon is an interesting card in the Black-Red Madness deck, so these two work pretty nicely together. And, you know, maybe even in modern. I mean, there, there are decks in modern that want to clear out both players hands right so 
this is, you know, is there a better card to have on the table when all of all of the dust is cleared after that? I mean, I, what struck strikes me about this card is that three power. I mean, that just hits so hard. That's the difference between two and three is often multiple turns worth of attacks. So I like that component of it. Um, I also like, again, how well this plays with Liliana in modern. I'm not sure how much that ends up mattering in the long run, but uh, that does do a lot for you, especially because not only does Liliana let you get it into play without really paying for it, um, at least you, you, you're not actually down a card, but it also pushes both players to have their cards empty. So, um, you know, in some of these Jun decks in modern where Dark Confidant, be- Confidant becomes a liability because the um, mana curve, is a little higher. Uh, this actually gets kind of appealing because you can replicate the effect without uh, having to worry about losing huge chunks of life. And it also lets you put it into decks that might want Dark Confidant and Emrakul for some reason. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you, it's an interesting card. It's currently at five dollars in Star City, so it's not time to be buying into this. You're going to be picking these up. Uh, you know, if you pay attention to the vendors that that tweet a lot in the Twitterverse. Um, you'll probably be able to get some of their kind of, I just cracked 50 boxes, here's my greatest deals list. Um, and this will be the kind of rare that'll be on there for like $1.75 or $2 a copy um, in a week or two. So um, just something to keep an eye on. Yep. All right. Well, I got nothing else that's really tickling me this week. How about you, James? Um, I think that's a wrap for this week. Okay. So where can our fans find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at mtg critic as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com and uh, again I'm, I'm travis allen you can find me every wednesday at mtgprice.com i'm on twitter at wizard bumpin b-u-m-p-i-n and i am on the occasional webcast uh cartel aristocrats and james uh congratulations i think this is our first episode that's even close to half an hour even though it's still over (laughs) thanks travis and we'll see you guys next week on another episode of mtg not so fast finance